great time. We'll see you later. Good morning. Today I will be reading John 17, 20 through 23. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved me, them even as you have loved me. Amen. Thank you. That is pretty impressive. She's not even 11. I mean, when I was 10, forget about it. Run off the stage. So... Well, hey, my name is Dallas. We're beginning a new series on unity here today. It's kind of a unique series. We're going to do just a three-part series, but in eight days. We're going to do today, and then we're going to do Wednesday, and then we're going to finish up next Sunday. And I really think that this is probably the most important thing that we could talk about for a couple reasons. One, what an opportunity in a culture we have that is so divisive. What a great way for the church to show a different way forward, right? I mean, to to be unified despite differences, not having uniformity, but having disagreements, but yet still being unified. I mean, what an amazing opportunity we have, right? But then the second reason is what truly just read for us just now, is that the world won't see who Jesus really is until the church has unity. I mean, we'll read uh, that again from John 17, 20 through 23. It says this, I pray also for those who believe in me through their message. This is Jesus. This is one of the last prayers to the Father before he goes ahead and gives up his life. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Now those are pretty high stakes, aren't they? That it is unity and then the world can see that God loves them, that Jesus is who he is, and that God also loves us. I mean, that's a big deal. I think we got to ask ourselves the question, Where is unity on our priority list? Because you could make the case that this is our priority list. Like if we want to see God work, then unity is our priority list. And I know I'm getting a little bit into like a 
theological issue here, but I, but I think you could make the argument that God's Spirit is released, that God works when the church is one. When you take uh, Acts chapter 2, it starts out with saying that they were in one accord. That means one in heart and, and, and of mind, and then the Holy Spirit was poured out on them. It was unity, and then it was the activation of the Holy Spirit. In Psalm 133, this is the whole chapter, but it's just three verses. It says this, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like the precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. So it is unity, and then it is the blessing, or it is life thereafter. I cannot stress enough the importance for us to seek after unity. You know, we want God to work, right? We, we pray, God, work in our community. Maybe there are people, maybe there are family members that you really just care about, and you say, God, I, I want you to work in this situation. And our, our goal, or, or our duty in all of it, is to seek after unity. And this is something that for probably 10 years into my faith, I never even considered. I mean, I just thought, hey, if you disagree with me on something, I'll just kind of set you over here and I'll continue to do my own thing. But, but this is really our duty if we want to see God work. Think about it like this. In order for electrical to work effectively, you have to have a continuous flow of power so that that light switch can turn on. And what happens when you have broken wiring? The power cannot go through to the light switch to be turned on. And this is the way that it is with unity in the church. That we must be one so that the power of God can be on display for the world to see. The power of God is on display for the world to see when we have unity. And so I think the question that we need to ask as we move forward is very simply, is there any broken wiring in your life right now? Is there any broken, broken wiring within the church, any relationships, any, any bitterness, any unforgiveness? Is there anything that you can think of? Maybe there are sin habits going on that are preventing relationships from being one. Is there any broken wiring that you can think of this morning? And, you know, disunity doesn't just affect our hearts. It doesn't just affect that relationship. It doesn't even just affect the church. It affects the ability for the world to see the light of the world. The light of the world can't shine fully until there's a continuous flow of unity so that power, the power of God can be on display. What if unity was that big of a deal? I mean, what if unity was that big of a deal to us? It was so high on the priority list that, man, we said, if we want God to work, we've got to be one. We've got to be one. Now, let me say this before we move forward. Unity does not mean that all of a sudden we're soft on sin. In fact, it's quite the opposite. It was sin that created the very first disunity between us and God and us and other people. So we've got to, when there's unrepentant sin, we've got to address that. Because if there is unrepentant sin, then we already don't have full unity. 
So it's our job to address those things, and nobody's ever going to be perfect, and praise God for that. We need an abundant amount of grace. But if there's, yes, exactly. But if there's unrepentant sin, then we've got to address it, not just for the individual, not just for the church, but for the world to see the light of the world, for them to see more clearly who Jesus is. It takes all of us coming together in humility and repentance before God before we could ever have any kind of unity. Now, if you want to turn to Ephesians 1, 7 through 10, we're going to talk about if we're, if we're all here, assuming we're all here in a posture of humility and repentance, how do we now navigate unity? And I think it's found here in Ephesians 1, 7 through 10. It says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Now we have to highlight that part, that last part, under Christ. That is the only way that we get unity, is when everything has been set under Christ. We have to set everything under him in order to have unity. And I think this is probably where we get our pledge. One nation under God, right? That's the only way that you get unity in a nation is when the nation itself is under God. It's not valued on the same wavelength as God. It's under God, and yet everything flows through that. That's how you get one nation, and don't you find it really sad now that we're trying to be one nation without God? And we just can't do that. It doesn't work that way. This is us wanting the kingdom without the king. And the king has to be on the throne. Everything has to go under the king in order for us to be able to be one. So important for us. It doesn't work that way. Everything has to be set under him. Now, you can have unity under other things. I mean, if, if there's persecution, if there's fear that if you don't sort of submit to a certain way of life, and if everybody sort of does that because there's fear, you could have unity then. Or if I came in here and said, you know what, everything is permissible, it's fine, we're not going to talk about hard things, then we could have some level of unity then as well, but we certainly wouldn't have conviction in that scenario. And Christ has conviction, so that unity wouldn't be under Christ. So you have these two extremes of unity. You have sort of a totalitarian unity, or you have an everything is permissible unity, but neither of those are under Christ. To have unity under Christ means that there's grace and truth and love at play here. So for us, we want to be a people who have everything set under Christ. And we can do that because he is ultimate reality. And he can handle everything being set under him. Think about it like this. If we were all terminal right here, it's seconds till we die. And then somebody came in and healed all of us and gave us life. What could possibly define us more than that reality? And in fact, that is our reality, isn't it? That we're all sinners, saved by grace. Man, we've got to cling to that truth and that reality. And if we do, 
then what could possibly define us more than that reality? And so if we set everything under Christ and we realize the reality of not just our own condition, but what Christ has done for us in the midst of that condition, then, man, we can set everything under that reality. And all those other differences will start to seem a whole lot smaller. And, man, it's just disappointing, and I'm sure you guys see this too, where the church, a lot of people in the church are just throwing in the towel on this whole unity thing. For stuff that's just not that important. I mean, I don't like, you know, the order of service or the way things are done. I'm out, right? I mean, you see that a lot in our culture. This is the culture leaking into our Christian culture. And for us, all those other things, man, we got to decide what is unity worth to us? Because the Bible tells us that we've got to be one so that the light of the world can be shown to the world. And when we're getting bogged down by all these little differences, that's who really suffers, is the world. Not just the church, not just the church, but the world can't see who Christ is. Now, there will be times where differences are bigger. They're a lot more meaningful than order of service or whatever. What do you do when there is somebody in the church who's unrepentant, right? How do you navigate that then? What about when someone doesn't share my views on unity? What, if, what about when somebody is just downright rude? How do I navigate unity then, right? These are harder questions for us to answer. But I do think, and I, and I would contend over and over again, I really believe this, that even some of those issues would be less of an issue if we just focused on putting everything under Christ. I mean, if our reality, if our true reality was realized then even those big things would seem much smaller and we could get to a resolution. Y'all remember last year I told you, uh, probably last summer as you were getting to know me a little bit better, I I told you there's basically three things that sum me up. I'm a pretty simple person. Uh, One is I really like football season. Uh, Two is I'm very competitive. And then three, and you guys have to know this about me by now, that I just love Christmas time, man. Christmas time starts way too early in our house. It's kind of a shame, really. But, but even with all those things that sum me up, I told you guys I have much more in common with a football-despising, non-competitive, doesn't-even-put-his-Christmas-tree-up follower of Jesus than I do a Christmas-obsessed, competitive football fanatic who does not love Jesus. Jesus is at the top by a mile, or he should be at the top by a mile. And so we, are we defined by that? What would it truly look like for us to embrace that it is Jesus and there's everything else? In fact, what if it was Jesus and then everything else flowed from that relationship with Jesus? Because he's so important to us that everything, everything comes from him. You know, our reality is that we are desperate for Jesus and he can meet us in that space and extend his grace to us despite our reality. And you know, I think our, our lack of unity also is just uh, rooted in our lack of desperation sometimes. I mean, I think as time goes, we think, man, maybe I'm, maybe I'm doing okay on my own. Maybe I'm doing okay. And it reminds me, this is a really dumb example, but I'm just going to do it anyway. Do you guys remember the, uh, the Rocky movies from the 80s? I don't even know how many there are now. They've been, like, coming out with some. I think there's, like, maybe seven or something. But there was originally five. 
And Rocky, man, he's a boxer. He's not doing well, but he gets this new life in his boxing career. And once he gets this new life, man, he takes full advantage. He's like hungry and desperate, man. He's over there like like punching ribs of meat just to get a little bit more training in, right? He's like running up the steps. You remember that? Running, running and chasing chickens to try to get faster and all this stuff from like sunup or even before sunup to sundown, man, he's just hungry. He's just desperate, right? Well, and then he has some success over time. And over time, he stops doing the chicken chasing and all this stuff, right? He, he starts to get a little bit too good for that. He's a little bit too established. In fact, the only time he does that is just for a quick picture, right? And so he adds all these other things in there. It used to just be him in the boxing ring. And then all of a sudden, it's him, the boxing ring, and it's the photo shoot. And it's the nice house. And it's the nice cars. And it's the women and all these things, right? And so he becomes a completely different person in the process. And maybe that's true for some of us today. Maybe, man, when we first came to faith, it was just us and God. God, tell me whatever you want me to do, man. I just, I love you so much. I'm so desperate for you. I just need you right now. And whatever you say goes. But then some time goes by, and it's God and social media. It's God and entertainment. It's God and blank. Man, what would it look like for us to just say, God, I'm desperate for you. I need you. And when we realize that, that we are desperate for him, and that God does meet us in that space, that is what wholly defines us. That is our reality. Matthew 5, 6 says this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Man, for any of us who just say, God, I need you. I mean, I'm hungry, and I'm desperate for you. He will meet us in that space. And we will realize that, man, he is ultimate reality over our lives. And when we don't become desperate for him, and all these other things come to play, then we can't really have unity. Why? Because we're bringing all these other things to the forefront. We're bringing all these other things, the, like Rocky with the nice cars and the houses and all these things. We're bringing all these things to the table when in reality we just need to put everything under Christ. Not only under Christ, but let everything flow through Christ. Man, I think sometimes we, we hear these verses, you know, over and over again, and so it starts to become like white noise to us a little bit, right? We, we lose the meaning, the depth, the understanding, the, the, the just great, amazing nature of some of this scripture. But I'd love for us to read uh, Romans three nineteen through 24 and try to, try to hear this as if you've never heard it before. Try to accept this reality as if you've never heard it before. It says this. Obviously the law applies to those to whom it was given. For its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard, 
Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. I mean, do we, do we realize the magnitude of this reality in the scriptures? And if we do, then we'll stop being defined by things that just don't matter. Man, everything is said under Christ. Are we defined by this reality? And only when we're defined by this reality can we have unity. So, let me ask that question again. Is there any broken wiring that needs to be addressed today? Is there any broken wiring that needs to be addressed? Because, man, it's a beautiful thing when we have unity because the power of God can be displayed to the world when we do. Another question we need to ask is, what is worth risking disunity? I mean, we really have to answer that question too, don't we? Because there are reasons to risk disunity, aren't there? I mean, if somebody comes in and says, hey, I don't really believe that Jesus was a historical figure. I think he's just a metaphor for life. It's like, well, okay, we, we need to talk about that. Right? There are serious things, there are theological things even, that are really important that we have to address because we have to get to the truth of the reality of who Christ is. And maybe there's some of you here who have experienced abusive situations, and there's already disunity there because that person has created that disunity, and you need to keep yourself safe and get out. It's time to remove yourself from that. I'm not asking you to seek unity in dangerous situations. I am asking us, though, because there's a culture that so quickly uh, has disunity that, in fact, really prides itself in a lot of ways on its disunity, that that starts to leak into us if we're not careful. And so we ought to err on the side of keeping unity as much as possible. Man, let us be a people of no more broken wiring. I mean, what would that look like for us truly? Now, let me also up the ante a little bit here. And I know I'm pushing hard here. But is there any broken wiring, not just in this church, but in the church overall? Because we are all brothers and sisters. Maybe there are past church members that there's a struggle in the relationship with. Do we need to address that so that we can see God at work? Again, it's not just about our own hearts. It's not just about that relationship. It's not even just about the church It's about the world being able to see who Christ really is and the fact that the Father loves us just like he loves Jesus. Man, everything is at stake with unity. Everything is at stake with unity. Is there any broken wiring that needs to be addressed? And here's what's at stake. John 3.16, you guys know this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Guys, that's what's at stake here. Is the world understanding this simple truth, this reality? Do we really believe here today that if we seek unity, we're allowing God's power to be on display and that there will be light shining all over the world? So, here today as we kind of wrap up and head back into worship. Is there anything that needs to be confessed this morning? Is there any repentance that's needed and man repentance gets a bad rap doesn't it it's like and repentance is such a wonderful invitation from God I mean think about whenever somebody wrongs you to invite them to actually turn back towards you and 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 come and 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 humbly acknowledge what they did man that would be kind of hard for us but that's what God does 
so freely. It just says, man, you can turn back towards me this moment. And God, I don't know how. I mean, I, I don't know how I can possibly forgive this person or turn towards this uh, unforgiveness of this person. But God, just help me. Man, he'll meet us in that space. When our heart is a posture of humility, man, he meets us in that space. He helps us. So during this time of worship, if there's anybody that you need to go to, or maybe there's a sin habit or things like that, man, I would encourage you, just give those things to God so that we can see unity. Because unity is a beautiful thing. And unity will allow people to see the light of the world on display. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that like, there's a part that we get to play here. I mean, that's, that's a really cool thought to me, that, that there's a part that we get to play here in all this. And so, Father, help us to navigate that part that we're playing here. Help us to be a people who really do truly just desire to see good happen. And Father, remind us what's at stake here. Remind us that it's not just, you know, about that relationship or even about the church, but that the whole world is at stake here. And Father, help us to believe that you desire to work. You desire to work in us. You desire to work in this community. You desire to do good because that's just who you are. And so, Father, help us. Help us to see the truth of that reality a bit more fully here today. Father, help us to set everything under Christ. Father, help us to realize the magnitude of the reality that we have, that we have life in his name. And Father, let that truth just reign over our lives as we move forward. We love you a lot. In Jesus' name, amen. The altars are open. I'd love to pray with you. Let's stand and worship.